I remember, you know, Maxie Thomas, late Maxie Thomas, was such a great preacher. He told me one day, he said, David, there's two things that make me want to preach. I said, Maxie, what's that? He said, when I hear those that can, and when I hear those that can't. <laughs> I said, Maxie, you are right. Well, I want to tell you something. We have had rich teaching and preaching of the Word of God. My goodness. Brother Matt, you really, you established our teaching schedule and our assignments. And how many of you know this has really been rich? I mean, from the very beginning, it's been great. And I don't want my pastoral staff to tell IBC, but if I wasn't pastoring, I'd be right here at Destiny Church. This, this guy lays the Word of God out. Well, everybody be seated just a few minutes here. Let's uh, look into the Word of the Lord. In fact, I want our pastoral staff that's here, where's uh, Dr. Varkey and Rachel? Yeah, stand up and remain standing. And uh, Rick and Cynthia over here. Uh, now, Brother Larry and Sister Charlene, not able to be here today, but this is uh, our pastoral team. We're, we're thrilled to be able to be a part of this missions conference, and, and we feel so right at home, and we thank God for what He's doing. And uh, destiny is, is moving forward in a powerful way. Eighty years you guys are celebrating. Isn't this tremendous? I tell you, I thank God for His wonderful goodness. And you know, I had the pastoral staff stand. There's one person I should have stand. It's that woman back there. Jeannie, stand up. Going on 55 years. Yeah, great wife. My assignment is to talk to you about the call to personal holiness. You know, you mention holiness to some people and it sends up <laughs> flags of warning. You say holiness and some people think, my goodness, this is the second coming of Charlton Heston playing Moses on Mount Sinai with tables of stone shouting out, Thou shalt not! <laughs> they think that holiness is synonymous with uh, legalism and man-made restrictions and that produces condemnation. And we certainly don't want that. And besides that, the, you know, this, the, the idea of holiness, it seems to be outdated and it's out of vogue and People will say, well, you know, look, we've got to be relevant. We, want to, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And, uh, and maybe along with that, there's a few questions that we need to ask ourselves today. Are you being desensitized by the present evil culture and the wickedness of the world in which we're living today? And along with that question, we need to ask ourselves, are there things that once shocked us, and now we pass by with little notice. 
Have our sexual ethics deteriorated? And then a real good question is, personally, where do our minds wander and gravitate to when we have no responsibilities and no pressures or duties to perform? Oh, that's good preaching, David. Just go ahead, lay it on the line. (laughs) How many of you know that we need to be reminded that personal holiness is not outdated? And if you think it is, what are we going to do with the numerous scriptures, Pauline epistles, the general epistles, that call us to live a life of holiness? Paul said in Ephesians, walk in holiness. In Thessalonians, you're not called to uncleanness, but to holiness. In the book of Hebrews, we're partakers of his holiness. I get the idea as I read the scripture that a personal life of, and our behavior of a holy life that's separated from sin. and See, holiness really can be defined as being dedicated to God apart from sin and its influences and consecrated to him. Can, can, can you, all, you guys can't see my, my picture back there. My goodness. I've got, a, I've got a cat on the other end of that looking through a birdcage. And I guess what I, uh, yeah. Good night. I guess I should put the scripture there, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he's seeking whom he may devour. Woo! Listen to this passage from 1 Peter about this personal call to holiness, and I'm going somewhere in these next few moments. Listen to this, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 19. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be also holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And then the next couple of verses here, Peter immediately reminds us of the highest motive of a pure, holy life. And that's our own personal salvation. And he reminds us of the price that was paid to redeem us to Christ. Verse 18, he says, knowing that you're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but you've been redeemed with the precious. Everybody say precious. I might mention to you that's a word that Peter uses 13 times in his two little epistles. Uh, it's a word that's a, it's incredible. It's not like, oh, this precious child no, this, this precious, it's precious because it's rare. It's, it's a, a precious gem. It's a precious, di- it's something that there's very little of. Uh, 
You've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? And then uh, look at uh, verse 19. With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter uses this word redeemed in verse 18. You know, when he wrote this epistle, I might just mention to you the first century, there was, it was estimated by historians there were 60 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. And a slave could actually purchase their own freedom if they were able to collect enough money. But no amount of money could redeem us from sin. It was the precious blood of the Lamb. See, Peter had witnessed firsthand the suffering and death, the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. What a price he paid to redeem us to himself. Why in heaven's name would we ever go back to the slavery of sin and the past? Holiness demands our separation from sin and the world and all of its attractions and corruption. So I talked to you about personal holiness in our walk with God, and I, I want to deal with the elephant in the room here just for a few minutes. I heard Bishop Fulton Sheen, the late Bishop Fulton Sheen, Just a few years ago, he said, uh, there was a 22-year-old young man came to him and said, Bishop, how old do you have to be and do you have to get before you get beyond this sexual temptation? And Bishop Fulton Sheen looked at him and said, son, I don't know. You're going to have to ask somebody older than me. I'm I'm just 80 years of age. I thought, that's an honest man. We're living in a day that I just recently read an article by Dr. James Dobson, and he was quoting from the Barna analysis group, where he stated that 1,500 pastors are leaving the ministry every month in America. Three things, due to moral failure, spiritual burnout, or contention within their their churches. And the statistic in that article that just blew my mind was that over 50% of pastors, their marriages will end in divorce. In 2022, in in their their ministry and life, 80% of seminary graduates who enter the ministry, the article states, will leave the ministry within the first five years. Almost 40% of pastors that were surveyed stated that they had had an extramarital affair at some point, reaching back to the beginning of their ministry. A Liberty University professor just a couple of years ago handed out an article on the first day of class, and it it stated that 19 of 20 seminary students who entered the ministry would fail to finish their ministry well. 
I want to tell you, though, I've got good news for you today. Uh, That's what they saw. And along with that, Dr. Dobson talked about pornography. It's unbelievable the revenue and the money that is poured into this filthy enterprise of pornography. Take all the revenue of the NHL, that's the National Hockey League. All the revenue of the NFL, that's the National Football League. Take all the revenue of the NBA, all the revenue of the baseball, and there's more money spent in peddling filth in pornography than in all the sports industry in America. Mm. Those of you that had me in class remember the, the little poem that I gave. So a look, you reap a thought. So a thought, you reap an act. So an act, you reap a habit. So a habit, you reap a character. So a character, You reap a destiny. It all starts with the look and the thought. So I don't speak to you as one that has it all together. I speak to you as one of the human family that has struggled in areas of temptation. And Satan has knocked on my door many times. But if I, if I was to get out of line, I got a wife and, and a loaded gun that would settle it <laughs> real fast. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I've learned some secrets. I love the, the emphasis we've had here about the Word of God. Uh, Psalms 119 verse 9 asks the question, where can a young man cleanse his way? And I might add to that, where can a young man or old man cleanse his way? And the psalmist answers, By taking heed according to the word of God. And then I love verse 11. That's Psalms 119.9. Verse 11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart. I've tucked it down on the inside that I might not sin against you. Whoo, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. amen. Here's where I'm going in these next few moments. Right here. In the book of James, James gives us three things that we've got to consider in this whole issue of temptation and all of the things that the devil in his seeking want to throw in our path. Let me read it to you, James chapter 1, and I want to share these principles with you. James 1, 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 
Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So just before we look at these three things to consider, I notice that James makes three emphatic statements. Number one, everyone is tempted. He says in verse 14, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away of his own desires and is enticed. Everyone's tempted. Now, I know some people, you know, they don't want to admit that they ever face temptation. They want to hide behind some religious mask of hypocrisy. They're afraid or ashamed to admit that they've ever faced temptation. Uh, We would rather appear, quote, spiritual. Hey, let let me just tell you to relax and take take a deep breath. Every one of us in here, you're cut out of the same cloth. We're made from the same hunk of dirt. If you've never been tempted, raise your hand. You're either a liar or an angel. But all the rest of us human beings, we were born in this world and our nature was tainted. Adam and Eve were tempted in the Garden of Eden. Joseph was tempted in Egypt with Potiphar's wife. David was tempted and committed adultery with Bathsheba. Even our Lord Jesus was tempted. Matthew chapter 4 tells the account. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. Woo! Am I glad I've got somebody in the heavenly world that can sympathize with us today. Can you say Amen. He's not there as a big judge with a hammer to hit us over the head. He is our high priest. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So everybody's tempted. The second emphatic statement James makes is that God is not the source of temptation. He says in verse 13, don't let anybody say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Listen, our God is a good God. And God's not trying to trick you, trap you, mess you up. No one is ever going to be able to point their finger in the face of God and say, hey, hey, you're, you're the one that caused this. You, you allowed this. No, I want to tell you something. God is not the tempter. So everyone is tempted. God is not the source of temptation. And the third statement he makes is that Satan is the tempter by using our own tainted nature, our own desires. He says in verse 13 and 14, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away of his own desires and enticed. Let me tell you something. The the moment you become a friend of God, you become an enemy of the devil. And when God opens the heavens to bless you, the devil opens hell to blast you. And he's going to do anything and everything he can to attack your life. Mm. James, and, and let's look at it. James shows that we really need to look three directions. And you need to consider three things. When you face the attack of the enemy in any area of temptation. Number one, 
look ahead and consider God's judgment. Listen to what he said in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. James says, hey, you need to look ahead. See where sin ends. It ends in death. See the consequences of sin. The judgment of God. You know, Romans 6, 26, the wages of sin is death. In these verses, James describes for us actually a predictable threefold process of sin. Did you notice that? Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So now, in fact, there's three D's right here. Desire, it begins with desire. The first step in the process of temptation and sin is desire. The word lust means any kind of desire. It's not limited to sexual desire. It's the normal desires of life that God has given all of us. And how many of you know these desires are not necessarily sinful? It's, in fact, uh, these desires are necessary for our human function. How many of you know that without hunger and thirst and the desire to eat, we'd never eat and drink, we'd famish and die? The body wears down and needs rest. And, and so that desire for rest is, is necessary. Sex is a normal desire. Without it, the human race could not continue. It's when we seek to satisfy these desires in ways that are outside the will of God, that's when it gets us into trouble. Eating is normal. Gluttony is a sin. Don't, don't shout me down here, but... Sleep is normal. Laziness is sin. Sex, God, how many of you know God made sex? Most of you arrived on this planet that way. Now, a few of you made other arrangements, but Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So our desires have to become our servants, not our masters. And then the second D that I notice in this process is deception. Listen to what he says. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And James draws our attention to the world of hunting and fishing. Every hunter knows what it, what it means to bait a trap. Every fisherman knows what it is to bait the hook. And that's actually the picture that James is giving us. It's in the Greek language here. Sin and temptation never appear as it really is. Satan makes sure that there's much more appeal to it than what, than what we, we never see the, the, the real danger of it. The grass is always greener on the other side. Well, the reason is because the sewer broke over there and it's... <laughs> Verse 14 says, it's when you're drawn away of your own lust and you're enticed. It's the baiting of a trap. It's the baiting of a hook. Satan comes and throws the alluring, baiting uh, bait. But what he doesn't show is the worm, and the, that under the worm is the hook. Satan doesn't reveal the true jaws of death. I remember hearing several years ago, um, I'm trying to think of the news. Paul Harvey. Some reason he was telling a story about how the Eskimos killed the wolves 
during the Arctic months for the meat for their dogs, for their sleigh. He says they take a sharp bladed knife and coat it with blood, freeze it, put more blood on it, freeze it. They repeat this process until that blood, a bladed knife has a thick coat of blood. They go out, take another knife and dig a hole, setting the bloody blade down, handle down into the, into the ice, and it walks away a few hours later. The scent of the wolf until there's life. He comes, he finds the blood on the blade of the knife, and in a short while, the crafty Eskimo hunter has found a wolf with his throat slit and meat for his dogs. Let me tell you something. The devil knows your scent. He knows the weaknesses of all of us. He's been in this business for 6,000 years. You're not going to outsmart him. What we've got to do is stand on the truth of the Word of God and know the promises of what God has said. And, uh, you know, the, the, the devil don't want you to see the deception. King David of the Old Testament, he would have never sinned if he had seen the tragic results of, of his uh, adultery with Bathsheba, the death of a brave soldier, Uriah, the, the death of the baby that came through that illicit relationship, uh, the, the violation of his own daughter Tamar, who was raped by her brother. Satan, he's the one that uses the bait. Listen, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And sin will not only cost you more than you want to pay, but it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. For heaven's sakes, he wants to use, and one of the most powerful temptations and issues is in this area of our moral choices. So the process of temptation, desire, deception, and then death. Look again at verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings death. We need to see the finished product of sin. Where is this thing going to take me? You have the power and the choice of sin, but God has already passed his judgment on sin. And I'm not going to make an exception out of my life. If I sin, God will judge me. I want to tell you something. I have a, I have a holy, awesome fear of the righteousness and the holiness of God. And that should be a deterrent to every one of us in our life. Solomon had something really clear to say to all of us here. Listen to Proverbs 5, 3 and 5. The lips of another man's wife may be as sweet as honey and her kisses as smooth as olive oil. But when it's all over, she leaves you nothing but bitterness and pain. She'll take you down to the world of the dead. The road she walks is the road of death. Hey, hey. So James says, look ahead. Consider God's judgment. It's a barrier. Second thing he says, not only do you need to look ahead and consider God's judgment, but you need to look around and consider God's goodness. Listen to his word in verse 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights 
with whom is no veritableness nor shadow of turning. See, one of the tricks of the enemy is he wants to convince you that somehow God is holding out on you, that uh, God doesn't really love you and he's not really concerned about you. That was the approach of Satan to Eve in the Garden of Eden. When Satan tempted Jesus, he actually said, hey, hey, turn this, this, these stones into bread. God's going to allow you to starve to death out here. Satan wants to challenge the goodness of God. But I'm telling you, the goodness of God is a barrier against every temptation and every sin. Once you start to doubt God's goodness, how good God has been in your life, I'm telling you something, Satan will use your natural desires to trap you. Isn't it something that when Nathan the prophet, one year, after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet comes to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And look at two verses, verse 7 and verse 8. Verse 7 and 8. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I, now listen to these words. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Do you notice the repeated word of give, gave, give? God said, look, I, I gave this to you, and I've given you this. I can't think of anything. Listen to me today, people. I can't think of anything more illogical, more irrational, more unthankful than for us to, after we've come to the cross of Calvary, been cleansed and redeemed from our sin and lifted above our past, then to turn around and to go our own way and do our own thing and ignore the goodness and the blessings and the favor of God upon our lives. So God says in James, look ahead. Consider God's judgment. Look around and consider his goodness. And the third thing, the third look, he tells us in verse 17, you need to look within and consider God's divine nature. Don't you understand who you are? Don't you understand? You're the child of the king. Listen to it. Every good and uh, gift and every perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a first fruits of his creatures look within you need to take a look on the inside. You're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You're a child of God. Sin is beneath the dignity of a child of God. You're chosen by him. And he, greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. You know, I found years ago something that really helped me. Your eye is like a camera. You remember the old cameras that we had where you had uh, to... 12 or 24 snapshots. And once you take all those snapshots, what'd you do? You took your film and you took it to a dark room and you developed those snapshots into a permanent picture. Your eye is like a camera. Your mind is the dark room. And you can take those pictures and you can develop a permanent picture. I developed some. But you know what I found out? What do you do if you don't want those pictures? Rather than just throw them away, what can you do? Turn the light on. Expose the film. 
to the light of God and let him burn it out. Let God, by the power of his light, give every dark thought, turn everything. I'll never forget when I was 16 years of age, I'd been introduced actually as a teenager to pornography. And then I was saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. And at 16, I was laying in bed and I thought, my God, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to serve the Lord. I've got all these thoughts and all this thing going on in my life. And I couldn't talk to anybody. And back in those days, I, in fact, I heard one preacher said, if you've had a bad thought this week, you're going straight to hell. I thought, dear God, that's exactly what I thought. And I remember laying in bed and I, I reached, everybody's sound asleep and I reached up and I laid my hands on my head and I said, you foul, unclean spirit, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. I got to tell you, it didn't leave. <laughs> I had to live every day. But the power of the word of God, expose it to the light of God. Let him by his spirit burn everything out of your life. And I've got to tell you, I think I was in my 30s and I said, Lord, I'm really concerned. I'm concerned about every choice and every area of my life. And, and the, the Lord led me to the book of Jude. I'm glad there's only one chapter in Jude. It's the darkest, blackest little book in the Bible. <laughs> It's all the apostates. I mean, it's clouds without water. It's, it's uh, wickedness coming. And in the midst of all, and it's really a prophetic profile of the last days. And listen to how that book closes and the Lord spoke to me. Do I have that verse? Oh, uh, flip to the book of, uh, is it up there? Jude. Now unto him. Come on, everybody say it with me. Now unto him who is able. I'm not able, but he's able. I said, oh, yes, Lord, that's me. I'm not able, but you're able. Unto him that is able to keep you from, and I like the old King James, Chad, to keep you from falling, keep you from stumbling. He's, he's able. He's able to keep you from stumbling. And this was the thing that excited me. I could see God opening the door of heaven to me when I finally arrive over there. And God's not going to have to say, hey, all you angels, turn your back. All you, all you redeemed, I've, I've got to let one of my servants in this door here. And I, I squeeze it in through the door. <laughs> no, i got news for you. When I arrive there, oh, he's able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. Come on, everybody say faultless. Woo! Before his presence of his glory. Oh, with exceeding joy. God's going to say, look, my child has come. Here he is.